1: Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, uh, host of the Remnant Podcast. Uh, I'm actually recording this after the podcast that you're about to hear was recorded uh, with Brett Bear, the host of Special Report, uh, funnily enough named Special Report with Brett Baer. Um, it was, I, I want to apologize in advance to Brett because I completely spaced Actually, talking to him about his about talking to him about his latest book, which was a strange thing not to do. Um, but I was so sleep deprived, and we were on such a tight schedule to talk to Brett, uh, given the breaking news, that it just went out of my head. And so we're going to have him back on hopefully soon to to dive into all of that. Um, and anyway, let's get started with uh, the show. Today uh, we are. I wouldn't say we're on the road, but we're someplace exciting. We are in the Fox News radio studios in Washington, D.C., so we can uh, talk to our special guest this week, one Brett Baer. Hey, Brett. Hey, Jonah. Uh, thanks for doing this. Good to be here. So, um, Congrats. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, uh, not sure entirely where to start with this. And we can do some Eisenhower. Um, we can do some rank punditry. But... Um, uh, one of the things that, like, as a Fox News all-star... Do we still use that designation? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, That I was talking to Steve about this, Steve Hayes, your uh, friend from college, Yes, we will get to. Um, uh, the, with the passing of, of Charles, I mean, the question we used to always get the most was, what's Crowdhammer really like, right? Yeah. But the question... This probably the second most popular question we get is... Um, do we have the do we get the questions in advance for the panel hmm. and the answer to that is no mm-hmm. um, but um, a lot of people don't understand and since i don't understand it i figured to start with that how do you actually put the show together like what does your day look like all i know is i come in toward the last the last 10 percent of your day so i don't know yeah i only know a handful of people on the show too so. right
2: right right so my day starts early in the morning i obviously get a um uh, bunch of news feeds. We have this thing from what's called the brain room that consolidates every news Element in the world, uh and we kind of go through that. the The morning starts for me when I get in here, probably about nine thirty. We have a ten o'clock meeting with managers about what the day looks like, and then I meet with the staff at eleven o'clock, and we kind of have a blueprint of what we think the day is going to look like. But that changes like six times during yeah. the day. But at that eleven o'clock meeting, I make a call about at that moment what the panel topics are going to be, and as you know, because you're a panelist. Um, You know you guys are like horses at the gate and so once we get to that part of the show if the topic stays the same um, the gates open you kind of say what you've thought about saying but then it's an organic discussion and it always has been it's never been you know here's what I'm gonna ask next next and that's the beauty of that part of the the show Charles obviously was a you know he was a walking—I say walking, but rolling—op-ed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he just came to the table, and everything he said was like he, he had written it down, yeah. but he hadn't.
1: Yeah, no, uh, and and, and <laughs> unique and indispensable are words that get wildly overused in Washington because most people aren't, but he kind of was. Yeah, I and mean, he really was a special case. And it for years I couldn't figure out because we used to run the excerpts from the panel, you know. When I was at National Review, we had a thing in the corner called, you know, Krauthammer's Take. Yeah. And it was so weird that you would read it and you would realize it was from the transcript, but there were no edits, really, because it was all perfect. And it's very difficult to talk in perfect paragraphs, even for people who talk for a living like you do. And he did it. In part, it dawned on me, he had never he hadn't typed a column in forty years. He's been dictating since medical school. Exactly, you
2: know? it was amazing to watch his process. But on the panel, you know, he would come up with those quips, those lines, those really in depth thoughts after like three questions in. So yeah. it wasn't like you know coming from the gate. Yeah. It was down the road in the conversations when some of those paragraphs happened.
1: Yeah. No, I know. I mean, it's it's he just had this ability to recall and think and speak grammatically which cut through the noise. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Cut through the noise is basically what I said.
1: Um, and, uh, you know, we, when he passed, uh, Steve and I did a special episode of this and it was pretty, it was a tearjerker, but, Mm um, so I, I have noticed, I don't think this is telling tales out of school. The, uh, you said that the, the, the plan doesn't, uh, Survive much these days after eleven o'clock. That is definitely more true now in the Trump administration than it ever was under Bush or Obama.
2: Hundred percent. I mean, my uh, rundown changes six or seven times. Maybe it changed once or twice before. I tell the staff I'm one tweet away from changing the whole rundown, (laughs) and it often happens at like five till six. Um, So Doug Warbeck, the executive producer, and I have this constant discussion, and. Literally, as I'm walking to the studio, if something happens, we may just say, "Let's leave with that." Yeah,
1: call an audible and
2: call an audible. Yeah, and uh, we've changed whole segments. We've changed. We've thrown the whole thing out and yeah. just gone live. Yeah. And um, that's the beauty of that show is that it has to be nimble. It's a newsy time for some reason in this administration in particular.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's true. It usually news kind of broke in time for the. Broadcast networks to adjust, and that doesn't—that seems to have completely gone out the window.
2: There's no formula now. I yeah. mean, it comes whenever.
1: Um, so speaking of no formula, um, uh, it is not a secret that the President of the United States is an avid cable news consumer, junkie, um, and uh, y- you have gotten some TV criticism from the President of the United States a few times. Uh,
2: Back end of some tweets,
1: yeah. Um, ha- What's, what's it like to be on the receiving end? I mean, I, I'm sure other presidents have, or politicians have complained about coverage. That happens all the time. But there's something special about the way he does it. Does he ever, like, text you directly or anything like that?
2: Not anymore. He used to during the election. Uh-huh. Uh, he would call. Uh, you know, we'd have candidate casino. And uh, Charles was on the panel. Yeah. Steve would be on the panel. Somebody else. And early on, they no one – and you. You wouldn't uh-huh. give them – much of the hundred bucks right in betting, <laughs> and he had a real problem with that yeah, yeah, yeah. and he would call his candidate Donald Trump and say, you know, why why is Hayes not giving me any <laughs> any money five dollars? and um, suddenly I'd get a resume of of his past I, I think um, over time uh, that has shifted to uh, Twitter is essentially his printing press, yeah. and um, and I've been on the back end. It uh, Chris Wallace has obviously been on the back end of some tweets, and you know it, it causes a stir. It uh, definitely affects your your
1: uh, Twitter uh, your notification notifications. notifications. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, yeah, I've advised you several times now that you should turn on the feature, which I haven't done either, of only getting notifications from people you follow yeah it, it improves your digestion your life yeah
2: <laughs> yeah it actually is fine um because some people tweet you know bob will say you are so in the tank for trump and then sally two down will yeah. say you are such a never trumper yeah, 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 and i'm like bob meet sally sally meet yeah. bob and um i think that means we're doing okay Listen, this president clearly, we've found out, is unique. And it's he's um, he does not deal with the press like I would uh, prefer. Mm-hmm. I've spoken out against uh, enemy of the people. I've spoken out against some of the things he's said and done. Um, but I cover him, sure. and I try to take the emotion out of it. I think one of the biggest problems is, for some of our colleagues, is that th- they get emotional Emotionally involved and thereby can't adequately present uh, the Trump administration's point of view.
1: So how do you deal with that? Um, I mean, I know I spend a lot of time vigorously defending uh, your show and and Chris Wallace and the news side generally here as distinct from the opinion side. But I, I, I don't feel like you need a lecture from me to know that that there is a. General guilt by association. Understood. You no know, problem that Fox has yeah, with, you know some of the more robust. Uh, you know, Judge Janine has a different show than you
2: do. Of course, <laughs> of course. And I think it's it's pretty clear to people who watch. Yeah, but that's you know, part of the
1: problem. So, a lot of the stuff comes from people who don't.
2: Yeah, um, and they paint with a broad brush. But I mean, I've been dealing with that for twenty one years yeah. at Fox, and so my antidote is to tell them, watch the show three times, and right. let me know. Tweet, right. Facebook post, drop me an email. And usually the people who do uh, see the distinct difference. Um, we're all under one umbrella, but we two do very different sure. things, the opinion side and, and the news side. Uh, again, I'm trying to take the emotion out of it and call mm-hmm. balls and strikes. Um, there's just a lot of pitches, yeah. you know, day to day. And um, if we can at the end of the show have a liberal look at it and say that was fair and somebody who is way in the Trump campaign say you know that was fair
1: yeah
2: I'm winning sure and uh, I don't think you can do that for many shows
1: no I think that's right And I, I, I gotta say I often when this stuff comes up if and I know you don't want to get dragged into this rabbit hole but at least Fox is very clear about the news versus opinion distinction um, some of my friends at MSNBC You know, you see them in one moment, they're doing a straight news report, and then the next, they are opining in ways that you don't see news hosts here doing that stuff. I mean, uh, um, Andrea Mitchell has got this wonderful reputation as a titan of Washington journalism, but she also is very often just a very opinionated pundit, and they don't make it clear that, oh, right now I'm wearing my news hat, and now I'm wearing my opinion hat. For them, and for a bunch of people at, at CNN too, you just have to sort of, you know, this. Oh, put on my filter. Uh, they're being a pundit right now. They're not being a news person. I don't think. I think a lot of people with criticism of, 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 Fox don't actually. Recognize that at MSNBC because they're all being told what they want to hear
2: or CNN I mean Don Lemon is not exactly bringing it right down the middle. No, that's right And so they throw in a lot of opinion uh, for those shows and listen there's nothing wrong with that It just needs to be identified as such. I think uh, We do a pretty good job across the board and there's a lot of good people who are breaking a lot of stories Jennifer Griffin at the Pentagon Um, You know, we've got Intel folks Jake Gibson at the DOJ and we're trying to, you know, do, do news. And um, and this is a tough environment in which to operate because half of the country is just angry at the president. Yeah. I mean, really.
1: Very angry. Angry. Yeah, yeah.
2: And um, so at some point, we have to get to a point where we can kind of cover things without the emotion.
1: And a third of the country I've found are angry at people who are angry at the president but not angry enough. <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, Uh, So one last sort of Fox question, just because I'm sort of fascinated by it. Um, There there has been these reports in the Wall Street Journal, owned by you know, uh, uh, the same parent company, that uh, there are people who are there are Trump supporters who are looking to maybe buy One America News, to um, apparently on the premise that uh, a big part of Trump's problems is that Fox's coverage hasn't been positive enough. and um what do you make of that do you think do you take that seriously uh do you think that's going to happen have you heard anything
2: well i think um the president before winning the race was seriously looking at a trump tv option and i think that those mechanics were probably still out there uh, with people with a lot of money who think um, that there's a angle to be had I think the opinion shows, uh, you know, it, they're varied in yeah. their voices, um, but maybe people are mad at the news shows. I don't know. But, okay. um, uh, I mean, just look at Iran and that issue. At 8 o'clock, you had Tucker, who was so vehemently opposed right. and made it clear in every single segment. Yeah, And then it switched over to 9 To Sean, who was 100 percent behind not only the president, but the administration's every aspect of of the move. And I think that that shows, you know, even on the opinion side, you have varied voices, which is a good thing.
1: Yeah. No. And also, I mean, another thing in in defense of Fox is that if I watch Special Report, if I watch, um, you know, America's America's Newsroom, if you watch the news shows, um, there's actually non Trump news in them you know I mean, there are other things going on in the world of course yeah and you watch a lot of the msnbc and cnn stuff and it is programmed to the quarter with you know the latest developments in anti-trump news and um you would be hard-pressed to find out that there are other important events going on in the world if you watch msnbc from nine to to 6 p.m. sometimes. I
2: mean, I think it's really important because um, I look at it like an iceberg above the water. This is the controversy of the day that we're covering because he, the president, sends out some tweet and we all take the hook and we run with it for hours on end but there's the iceberg above the water and then there's a huge iceberg beneath the water of like big things right. that are happening around the world that have nothing to do with President Trump or very little to do with him and uh, things that matter to people at home science health um, all kinds of world events that are outside the Twitter back and forth that we cover
1: so um, I learned from you um um for your latest book about Eisenhower 3 days
2: last one's about FDR 3 days at the brink first first one 3 days in January about
1: Eisenhower okay About Eisenhower okay uh the Eisenhower one I did not realize or I hadn't really focused that he was basically the first TV president but moreover he was the first president to um um allow his press conferences to be recorded on video and audio right, right. Yeah. yeah first one and um I understand why you, as you know, this is your business. Why you think that was such a great thing? Do you sometimes think we may be taking the principle a little too far? <laughs> um, I mean, the the leave the, it this way. Whenever I talk to people about Donald Trump's tweeting, a lot a lot of Trump supporters will say, um, "Look, it works for him." And I go, like, oh, "Well, let's break that down. What does that mean? It works for him?" Well, it keeps him in touch with his base, and you know, blah blah. Let's him go over the heads of the media. Um, Do you think that he would – let's put it this way. Say Twitter went down for six months. Mm -hmm. Do you think his poll ratings will go up or go down?
2: That's a great question. I think that the people inside his administration who talk privately say – We would love that yeah. because he speaks to the media anyway more than any other president has. He's answered more questions, not in a formal news conference setting, although he's done some of those. But as he's going out to the helicopter or as he's walking someplace, this president is as accessible as any other president we've ever seen. Um, The Twitter thing, yes, it gets above the heads of of the media filter, uh, but oftentimes it stirs its own trouble. And um, I think... Even Trump supporters would acknowledge that sometimes he shoots himself in the foot that he doesn't have to I mean if you had uh, These numbers economically right for a president and you take off the noise He could be way up there yeah, in and no, approval
1: ratings. That's sort of my point is that that The over he suffers from overexposure and doesn't realize it I mean, not always the way Obama suffered from overexposure, but that was the tone of that was a lot different
2: but on um, the flip side when he owns a rally and he goes on his his kind of humorous rant and people laugh yeah. and they they're engaged and and he fills in a stadium that's that Hillary Clinton could never fill sure I loved when in the campaign when the Clinton people said, "No, no, no, she likes more intimate settings." <laughs> really? She doesn't like the twenty thousand person stadium. She likes the couple hundred. Um, it's, it's like a anyway. kid in
1: high school who says the supermodel would have come with me to the prom, but I, you know, I'm not into that kind of thing. <laughs> uh,
2: so th- there's push and pull on uh, President Trump. I don't think we've ever seen any, anybody like him, and I actually don't think we will. Yeah. I don't think anybody can can have that same kind of ability to grab the national dialogue as much as he has. I mean, remember, we knew him for years and years and years. Not only The Apprentice, but before that, and front pages of New York magazines. I mean,
1: he was a figure. No, he was a staple of my childhood. I I, I grew up in New York City in the 1970s and 80s, and he he was was just a a fixture of life. And it's funny, I went back recently. Last year, and rewatched NYPD Blue, mm. and he's con- his name constantly comes up. Uh, the Sopranos, his name comes up a few times. I mean, he was he was in Home Alone too. I mean, yeah. he was he cared not about in the Canada, celebrity. but yeah, no, not in Canada. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> but like if Oprah ran, I guess we would have that same, you know, uh, mental. We we know this person for years and years and yeah, years, yeah. but I'm not sure that anybody else is going to catch that fire.
1: But also, Oprah wouldn't panic at the thought of not being the center of a news cycle for a couple days. Right? I mean, that's part of what drives what Trump does, is is that when someone else is getting attention or some other stories, he has to make himself sort of part of it. And I don't know that Oprah would do that, but I think you're right. I always tell people, can you imagine if Say Air Force One broke down and he couldn't make a rally, and Mike Pence had to sub for him. <laughs> that crowd will get ornery really fast. You know I mean, it's just like Mike Pence. Mike Pence can't entertain that crowd the way Trump can, and that should tell people something about what the race to succeed him will be like on the Republican side. Because the idea that Pence, out of loyalty, is going to hold on to the a big chunk of the Trump base, I find hard to believe.
2: Uh, I think it's fascinating to think about the post-Trump world. Um, and what that looks like and what the Republican Party looks like I think that those are a lot of big-picture conversations that um, that are gonna be happening. In the so how, years. how
1: Trumpy do you think the post-Trump GOP will be?
2: Some yeah. I mean, it's you know, well in the bloodstream and uh, I think that there are aspects of the, the Trump administration that They've capitalized on and won. So I don't know if the Republican Party will take just those things yeah. or there'll be other aspects of it that they go with it. But there'll be a hunger to go back to some of the uh, pillars uh-huh. of what uh, the GOP used to be about, I think. But it may take some time.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's right. All right. So let's do a little more rank punditry um, uh, without compromising your – Journalistic objectivity. Uh, how do you think the Democratic primaries are shaping up? I
2: think um, it is like a um, an accident on a highway that you don't know what's going to happen, but you know there's going to be a pileup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just don't know which state it's happening in. <laughs> um, I mean, I really think that this is a jumbled field, and I I also think that Mike Bloomberg looks at that and says. You know, somebody could win Iowa, somebody different could win New Hampshire, somebody different could win South Carolina, somebody different could win Nevada, and then I'm going to put a ton of money down, yeah. and I'm going to be the guy in Milwaukee who they say, you know what, that guy, yeah. that's our guy. And I think that's his calculation, uh, if Biden kind of falters, and uh, but this battle for the heart of the Democratic Party is fascinating, yeah. and Sanders is not going away. He's ascendant, yeah. not descendant.
1: He's got... He's got no place to go. I mean, he's 77, something yeah. like, um, And he's been running to bring heaven on earth in the form of true socialism for his entire life. It's not like he can wait for another cycle. But um, I actually did the math a while back. When Bloomberg ran for his third term as mayor, he paid $170. He spent $170 per vote, <laughs> right? So if you do that at the national level and you need, what, like 66 million votes... He could spend 12 billion or so of his money and still have 40 billion left. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so his quality of life doesn't change much, right? He can still leave 20 billion apiece to his kids. Yeah. Um,
2: you could find that in the couch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, he, and he's still making money, right? So it's like he, it's not a vow of poverty. So I don't see why Bloomberg wouldn't do all that. But, um, um but, I, you know, let the record show on Canada Casino, you used to give me a really hard time about saying that's some true. Other, what else, someone else might enter the race. And then Bloomberg and the Deval Patrick juggernaut yeah. enter the race. <laughs> um,
2: you know, it's interesting. Deval Patrick is the the last African-American candidate after Cory Booker has stepped down. Oh, that's so, right. He just stepped out. Yeah. Um, You know, it's hard to see. He doesn't even show up in polls. Yeah. Um, but you, you wonder if. New Hampshire, you know, he's ne- neighboring next door. I think that it's such a mix that um, it could go Bernie Sanders wins Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah.
1: Um, which would be good for Bloomberg, right? Which would be
2: great for Bloomberg. Yeah. Um, it'd be bad for Biden because yeah. you'd have to figure out how do you come back in South Carolina and say...
1: How do you claim to be the electable candidate when you I'm lost
2: the most the most electable. Two? Yeah, yeah. Um, or Biden could win. And that's still out there. Uh, He has some serious vulnerabilities, even as he's putting out these commercials that say, I'm the most experienced on foreign policy. Obviously, that has holes in it.
1: Yeah, because he was wrong on every foreign policy issue for the last 30 years. Bob (laughs)
2: Gates (laughs) Um, said
1: that. that, Oh, that's right. That was Bob Gates. Um, So you got your start in, uh, in local TV, but then you sent a tape to... Uh, Fox when it was starting and you were the Atlanta bureau chief, right? Which was like you and a table in the kitchen or something. Exactly. Like that. A <laughs> fax
2: machine and a cell phone in my apartment and uh, hired freelance crews um, the first, you know, the early stages of Fox and bounced around the southeast and south and central America and kind of sent the stories up to the mothership in New York. And then a lot of hurricane stuff back. Tons. There. Seventeen, I think. Seventeen yeah. tropical storms and hurricanes. And um, I was blowing around all over the place in my, my blue slicker. Uh, those are easy. I mean, that's, that's great stuff. I mean, it's not easy because it's taxing to be there and you got to protect the equipment and everything. But as far as the reporting ability, yeah, Hey, there goes a tree, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, interesting to do, but, uh, I love doing politics on Brit's show. That was always my aspiration. Yeah. And so when the recount happened in Tallahassee, that's kind of, it was me, um, I was doing the live shots. Jim Angle was doing the pieces, and we were operating on the back, out of the back of a a rider truck,
1: uh-huh.
2: in Tallahassee.
1: And um, and then after, basically, you just drove here on nine eleven.
2: On nine yeah. eleven, it was called up to New York when the first plane hit to back up there. Uh-huh. The second plane hit, they said drive. Yeah. And then third plane hit, and they rerouted me to the Pentagon, and I did live shots for Fox affiliates around the country. With the burning pentagon behind me and i never left
1: yeah, that's how you began the pentagon correspondent do you miss that
2: you know that's a great great job yeah. in that there's just so much information there in the 19 and a half miles a quarter of the pentagon um i love it i loved it i love traveling the world uh 74 countries uh-huh. reporting from i like the anchor chair uh because I, I like to be able to steer the whole thing, and uh-huh. to have also uh, executive editor of the show helps to be able to craft it.
1: I also, however. got little kids in seventy-four countries. Does yeah, it gets like, old. Yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would burn out on that pretty quickly. Um, all right. So the uh, the really pressing and important question is. <laughs> uh what can you tell me about steve hayes when you guys both attended depaul university mm. um, so steve hayes feel free to embellish there's oh, no yeah. fact checking going on steve here. <laughs>
2: hayes um was a year below me mm-hmm. and so i recruited steve hayes i was social chair uh-huh. when he was coming through uh rush at sigma chi in uh-huh. depaul and uh you know, at the time he was a face man volleyball player you know um, guy that you wanted in your everybody got along with him i mean now he's gone to pot but i mean he's he really has gone at to the, see at it. the time <laughs> at the time he was really uh, and so he, it was a great pledge class so i hazed haze uh-huh, uh-huh. um not really but you know fake hazing and um, and then we we had a great run of of uh, folks coming out of depaul who we're very successful, and um, we crossed paths again um, in journalism when he was at CNN, uh-huh. and um, I recruited him to be on the panel. Yeah. And he had too much stuff on me, so I had <laughs> to put him on the panel. Otherwise...
1: Uh, yeah, so the, uh, the, the, the only story that he, uh, he brought up, and I'm, I'm going I'm to shroud it in mystery mm. for your sake and for Steve's, mm-hmm. but apparently at one point there was a party... Mm-hmm. And Steve claims that this was his idea, something called I Draw You Wear. Or I Buy You Wear. I Buy You Wear. And people – well, why don't you explain what it is and I'll see if there are any discrepancies with how Steve
2: – Well, you can imagine <laughs> I Buy You Wear. Uh-huh. Uh, the Salvation Army has a lot of, to choose from uh-huh. in Greencastle, Indiana. And, um, you know, it got extravagant.
1: So – but the point was you have a party where you get to draw someone else's name out of a hat. Yes. And – dress them for the party exactly
2: and that was steve's idea uh, and he uh, put his you know his wit and expertise into that moment
1: okay and and um you can do- my
2: outfit was not you know flattering let's just say
1: <laughs> okay we're gonna keep that shrouded in mystery uh, uh people can send their uh best guesses to um at jonah remnant on twitter about what uh brett's costume was um so, uh last sort of serious thing going um on the Iran stuff, do you think that uh, uh let me put it this way. I think the whole thing's a little weird, right, in that um it feels almost like I don't want to be conspiratorial about it, but it feels almost like there was this was sort of somehow negotiated in advance because the missile strike, we got a heads up about it. Um, uh, Gina Haspel knew what the Iranians' response was going to be. It seems, um, and uh, the, the 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 de-escalating response from Iran was okay. We're going to launch these missiles, and then we're done. Just strikes me as really counterintuitive from what we had all been told about what Iran would do. Um, do you think Iran is in fact done with its responses and all of this?
2: No, I don't think so, and I don't. I think that there's a lot of threat still out there, especially from proxies. I yeah. mean, Hezbollah and the Shia militias, which without Soleimani uh, lose some command and control from Tehran. You right. know, so Soleimani was essentially the Legion of Doom leader of all of these groups, and uh, I think without him, it, it, it's a bit of a question mark what they do, but. Uh, I also do think that the administration might be accurate about uh, the extent of the hurt from these sanctions, mm-hmm. and that you know there is some calculation inside Tehran about keeping the regime afloat. Um, you saw these protests over the weekend yeah. that spun a different narrative than what we've been hearing about you know how Soleimani was a rock star and right. how everybody's supporting the regime. Um, it's not what i saw in those videos and i I think um we have a lot to learn about what iran's going to do i don't think it immediately leads to negotiations but i think that there's a possibility a possibility that they sit down
1: yeah i mean it almost feels like in a spy novel that the iranians basically said we'll give you soleimani in exchange for x or something because um it was just so it's also neat and clean in a way that except for the downing of the Ukrainian plane, which I don't know. I, I honestly don't understand how so many people want to put that entirely on Trump. I mean, Trump didn't shoot down that plane. I know. You know I mean,
2: that's really that's sort of, when when some of these lawmakers go over their skis yeah. with their criticism. Like at some point you have to say, OK, listen, that's not him. Right. You know, yeah. Uh, So I think that some of those protests on the ground have to deal with that. I mean, uh, the Iranians, if you're an Iranian official, this was a really bad week. And, um, you know, between the response that was kind of feeble, the loss of this guy, and then you shoot down a commercial jet, you lose, you know, some of the uh, talking points that you were selling your people. And now what? I mean, you're going to rely on attacks on U.S. citizens around the Middle East? I don't know.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, Brett Baer, uh, host of an editor, executive editor, and you have a lot of different titles. Titles, here. yes. Yeah.
2: Chief political anchor.
1: Um, thanks so much for doing this. Really hey, appreciate Hey,
2: happy to. Good luck. I read the dispatch every
1: day. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, so Brett has left the studio, and um, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in and listening. Uh, please go to the Dispatch.com, that's the dispatch.com uh, to sign up for newsletters to find out more about other podcasts that we're doing and to find out uh, and to find our uh, exclusive web only content. Um, we've had a little a few technical glitches with some podcasts recently. Um, so we uh, really appreciate your patience with us and we really, really appreciate how many people who have signed up for paid um, subscriptions or membership. Uh, to the dispatch, even though everything is still free right now, it means a lot to us. It helps us expand um, our, um, you know, our ambitions in terms of what we're trying to do. Um, and uh, we couldn't do any of this stuff without you guys. So uh, thanks for your patience. This is all a steep learning curve for us as we get this thing up and running. Uh, we have a lot of exciting more uh, Remnant podcasts coming. And um, since Jack is not here, I get to say, I'll see you next time.